Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, this is WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And you can find out a little bit more about us if you go to forwardradio.org. We're live streaming now, so if you go to that website and click on a button, you can listen to us uh, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. So, folks, again, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and I'm K.A. Owens, and we're here with Robert Geip today. Robert Geip is a, a, a writer, an artist, a creator, and as well as being an artist, he is uh I had the opportunity to work with groups and organizations over over the years on a variety of projects. So, Robert, uh, welcome to our show. Great to be here, K.A. So, Robert, uh, you're currently uh, residing in Kentucky now, uh, in eastern Kentucky. So tell tell people about your journey, how you got to Kentucky and how you got the opportunity to do the kind of work that you do and and work with uh, the creatives that you've had an opportunity to work work with. How did all that happen? Okay. I uh, I moved to Kentucky in uh, 1989. I was uh, 26 years old. I went to work at a Media Arts Center called Apple Shop, which is down on the Kentucky-Virginia border in Whitesburg, Kentucky. And I worked there until 1995. Did a lot of work and... trying to get their work out to the schools of the area, and then went on to do a lot of uh, collaborations with teachers in uh, Eastern Kentucky and more broadly. The um, occasion that uh, K.A. and I got together most recently, I, um, I was involved in a project involved a lot of artists and uh, school-based people across the state. Um, back in the days of the Kentucky Education Reform Act to get uh, teachers and artists working together, particularly rural teachers who didn't always have full-time art professors at their schools. And we, we brought artists and teachers together to uh, live together for four days and, and learn how to make art together and learn how to um, get kids doing real theater and music and visual art stuff. And, um, as part of that project, I uh, worked with what was then called the Parkland Boys and Girls Club, now called the River City Drum Corps, uh, at Naughty White, now Albert Snake, uh, the directors of it. And so we were talking about the old days and the importance of the artists, the importance of, uh, you know, working with a diverse range of people. And um, and after I left Apple Shop, I kind of... Um, Came, came to work at the community college in Harlan County with Dr. Bernd Richard Bell County. We did all kinds of community-based work there. My job was to connect uh, our community to our college through the uh, uh, tools of culture, uh, particularly Appalachian culture. And our, our biggest project, most most involved project with the community. We started doing um, uh, oral history interviews and then turning them into theater to do a project called Higher Ground. And we had started kind of during the the depths of the 
opioid crisis in the early 2000s um, when OxyContin was being overprescribed left and right throughout, really throughout the country, but throughout our region is, is, is especially uh, toxic. And, um, you know, people didn't really, there weren't a lot of rehab options. We, we didn't really understand exactly what was happening. It was such a different um, kind of substance abuse crisis. And so uh, we were able to get some funding um, to use the arts to help people respond to that crisis. And I uh, made an OxyContin musical in 2005 working with uh, some professional artists who helped their very non-professional art self to um, kind of tell the stories of that crisis and, and explore really uh, some of the strengths of you know what we had uh, going for us to help us respond to that to that uh, epidemic and um, you know and we had about 90 people in that first play KA and, uh, 18 musical numbers we hired a choreographer to get us moving together and you know, we had outlaws and in-laws and all kinds of people in that in that show, and um, people really enjoyed it, especially people being in it. And uh, out of that, we evolved our own kind of uh, community organization, and um, we've since done eight more um, explorations that led to productions, and uh, our most recent one is called Shift Change, and it looked at um, an Eastern Kentucky community where our community's uh, response to um, uh, George Floyd killing and the Breonna Taylor killing, and uh, kind of tied that to uh, the erasure of one of our most vibrant uh, black communities, uh, the community of Georgetown, which is, uh, which, um, First black residents got kind of chased out, and then when the 1977 flood came, then they got washed out. And uh, there were some powers that be that had other ideas about what that land should be used for, and so the community was never built back. And so we did an exploration of that, and kind of tried to help people that don't don't get it see that you know a lot of what boiled over in 2020 had been simmering for a long time, and. Um, you know how history piles up on us, and at a certain point, it's, it overflows. Um, I mean, you know, and I would say that uh, putting a piece of theater like that on in a community like ours, which you know is four hours from Louisville, pretty much, uh, and I guess ninety-five, ninety-eight percent um, white is important, it's important just, uh, you know, for people to hear their rural voice and for people to, uh, for the for rural communities to talk to themselves. And the performances were important, but I think also, you know, the work we did as a cast, a very um, rich mix of people in the cast, and, um, the conversations we had and the work we did together to get the play written, um, was also substantial. I think that, you know, what we felt good about at the end of the day was um, this is a time where it's hard to have a rational conversation with, with people um, 
got a broad range of people involved. It's like we feel, you know, so much pressure is put on us now to pick one side or another or reduce an argument to its simplest terms that, um, you know, we've been doing this with this playmaking process for 15 years now, but it really does seem like it, it gets harder when so many of the larger forces in society are trying to divide us or, you know, categorize us and, and, uh, and not emphasize what we all have in common in terms of pursuit of happiness and, you know, just everybody looking for respect, everybody looking for opportunity. But um, I'll take a breath, let you redirect if you want to, but that, that also led, that being involved in that community process also led me into doing some of my own writing. Um, but anyway, uh, Oh, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting your uh, letting our audience uh, sort of understand your development. Uh, you know, Apple Shop is sort of a legendary uh, place. Uh, you know, after having Apple Shop on your resume, you probably could have gone anywhere, but you decided to stay in Kentucky. So, what made you sort of attach? What was it about Kentucky that made you wanted to stay and make your life here and and, and essentially become a Kentuckian? Well, uh, I'm originally from Tennessee, and so I'm not sure that I, I will either uh, submit to totally being Kentucky or be accepted as totally a Kentuckian. So, we, but we provisionally we'll we'll talk about me as a Kentuckian, but. I think that uh, right before I came to the community college, I had a job for a year and a half while I was working um, in the philanthropy field, and we we were giving away money um, nationally to rural communities, um, to to small schools that were interested in connecting the culture of the community um, to the curriculum of their community school. And so I got a chance to um, see, you know, dozens, if not hundreds, of uh, communities and how they were um, integrating the arts and just really integrating cultural history into the curriculum. And it really put in me, um, yeah, but it's a lot of, for me, as as the person who was helping them figure out their grant proposals for philanthropy, and, uh, you know, we were trying to put together the broadest, most representative portfolio of places we funded. It was a lot of traveling for uh, the person in my position. And so, you know, I was putting 60,000, 70,000 um, miles on my car. And it's gratifying to help a lot of places um, do good work. But at some point, you just want to be somewhere and... Um, the president of uh, Southeast Community College at the time I came, Bruce Ayers, he um, he heard my spiel at, uh, at a community meeting about what we were doing with this uh, community connection to the curriculum. And he said, you know, we want that to be a part of the life at our community college. And so, I mean, you know, so on the one hand, you know, it was being someplace and being able to, you know, work with people and then to work with their kids and then to work with their grandparents and, you know, to, to put down those deep roots so that you, um, 
you know, that you had a, a long view of what it meant to do change work or positive work in the community. But of course, specifically, you know, I, I think for me that, um, that there really is a, um, a community-based value for creativity and creative expression and, and a sense that, you know, what artists do is also connected to what, um, you know, creativity and problem-solving ability and other aspects of society that, you know, in communities where it's hard times, where, there's, where you can't just throw money at every problem, uh, people have to get creative. And so I think there is a respect for um, just creativity generally and for, I mean, our, our part of the country is, is in many places very beautiful and there's just a kind of, uh, there's just a value everywhere you turn for beauty. And then I'd say the last part of the, last way I'd answer that question is that I also think the Kentuckians, uh, like a lot of other places, are are just wonderful talkers, wonderful storytellers, have a real sense of, uh, you know, at the verbal level, how to entertain one another. And um, and I just love that. I love uh, the care people take with language and, um, you know, just how, uh, how many good stories you hear. I mean, it's as simple as that. But, um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's why I've pitched my tent here so far. Well, wonderful. Uh, so tell us about the writing you're doing now and the latest book you've got out. Okay. Uh, so after we did our um, first play, um, I really hadn't been, I really hadn't felt like, you know, I was very interested in doing work that helped other people and involved other people and enabled other people's creativity and and um, we worked with a playwright on that first play a woman named uh, Joe Carson and of course we had collected all these stories from the community and, and the cast and uh, but um, you know in, the, in that first play we, we had capacity crowds of community people and um and, uh, you know, to hear community people um, speaking the words in the play that, that you'd help put together and uh, hearing the community react and and actually seeing how, you know, this artwork, this play was helping the community process the opioid crisis. And, and instead of, we felt like, you know, instead of just dealing with it within your family and maybe feeling ashamed of the fact that you had someone who was addicted in your family or that you were addicted yourself, that, you know, the play had had kind of foregrounded the notion that, like when the community is flooded after a hard rain, that this flood of drugs really affected all of us and, you know, that the solution would take all of us. And just hearing actual things that we'd written, I'd written, having that impact and helping people to move forward kind of reminded me that, you know, that writing and art is helping people, that that, that when you um, tell a story that 
is real and helps people process what they need to process. But that's all a part of helping. So I started going to the Appalachian Writers Workshop at Harmon Settlement School. And um, my first book was called Trampoline. It kind of, uh, I was involved um, there for a while in the late 90s, early 2000s with Kentucky for the Commonwealth, the organization you're well acquainted with, SKA. And um, I had been involved in um, a couple of lands unsuitable for mining petitions where we were asking the state that to use a part of the federal strip mining law to prevent uh, the strip mining of some um, places in the county one around Pine Mountain Settlement School and then the other is a piece of land that included the highest point in Kentucky, which we started out, you know, our primary interest in that is just that the blasting was uh, really damaging a lot of homes and water supplies and, and the watershed that was affected. But anyway, so I took that event and... Um, and modeled a character after a woman I knew who's very active in the Highland County chapter in KFTC, uh, Hazel King. And I made her a grandmother of a, a young woman who's much like me and my community college students, and uh, who was doing a lot of the raising of this young woman. And then um, her mother was, the young woman's mother was battling uh, substance abuse issues. And so, uh, the young woman was the narrator, the protagonist, and so she was just trying to grow up normal, whatever that means, and she was kind of caught between this superhero grandmother and this uh, struggling mother, and so between the two of them, she wasn't getting much attention at all, and then there was, you know, a bunch of car crashes and a early internet love interest and a bunch of other drama, but... Uh, and since then, I've had two more novels that kind of just kept following that family. Um, second one was Weed Eater, and the third one that just came out, it's called Pop, and it's narrated by the young woman's daughter. And uh, a lot of the problems that the original narrator was having her mother, now the daughter's having problems with the, her mother, who was the original narrator. So we're just using the three books to kind of think about how trauma gets translated through generations and how people maintain resilience and all that good stuff. So when you started the, the, the writing process, uh, uh, how did you find a publisher to, uh, and sort of the business aspect of writing? How, how did all, all that happen? Um, this is another uh, great aspect of life in Kentucky and life in the Appalachian region. I've heard tell of other places where the writing community is very, people are competitive and people are looking for, you know, to get their own success, uh, either with or without other people. But, you know, the, the artistic and writing community here, I think people are genuinely interested in one another's success and um, supportive of each other. So, um, I had been in a lot of writing workshops, not just Harmon, and uh, had been going for four or five years. And um, what I thought I would be an overnight success, uh, and it didn't. 
did not turn out that way. So I had about given up, but I was still going. I started uh, just putting chapters of that first book in my own little uh, hand-printed, hand-bound little zines, we used to call them. I guess they still call them. And I was selling them for uh, $3 a piece at different workshops I'd go to. And uh, Marianne Worthington and Jason Howard and Silas House asked if they could start putting one chapter at a time uh, on their, they had a, they have a literary website called Steel. And, uh, and so I started having a chapter every issue there. And I also should mention that um, uh, I illustrate my own books and so they had little drawings with them. Uh, and then um, a friend uh, was asked, uh, you know, who's doing good writing about the region today? And they pointed, and uh, it was asked by the um, publisher at Ohio University Press that does a lot of Appalachian regional literature and uh, pointed her to the website and uh, she called me and said that she was interested and, uh, and that's how it happened for me. I, um, I didn't really send out very many manuscripts so I just got involved in the community and um, you know went to a lot of workshops, read out loud, built my network and, uh, and then that led to uh, a big break. That's that's wonderful uh, story to tell. That's very educational in in itself uh, for people out there who are interested in writing and uh, and have a story to tell. So uh, we're sort of at a uh, sort of a interesting uh, time in Kentucky history, where you know it was a lot of spotlight on Louisville during the Breonna Taylor. And then politically, because of our senators, uh, 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 you know, McConnell and Rand Paul, a lot of people uh, have their eye on Kentucky. Uh, just as, as a note, we don't endorse candidates on this station or oppose. Uh, 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 so, uh, and then uh, with climate change and Kentucky uh, formerly being a big uh, coal-producing state at one time, uh, so... Uh, a lot of eyes on uh, Kentucky for one reason or another, uh, and of course with the uh, the opiate crisis uh, hitting the small towns in Kentucky and all across uh, the country. Uh, uh, so there's uh, more than several things going on in Kentucky all at the same time. Uh, not to mention uh, the COVID crisis and. Uh, how our governor is uh, reputed to have handled it better than a lot of other states. And, you know, Kentucky Treasury, uh, they say having a billion dollar surplus and all this kind of stuff. So uh, so if you look at Kentucky right now, either from the small town rural point of view, from the urban point of view, artistic point of view, political point of view, what do you see coming up? state has um, 
a strong tradition of, of electing all kinds of different people from all kinds of different perspectives. Um, I mean, even though, you know, one party is dominating the state legislature, uh, another party has the, has the governor. And I think that, you know, you, you don't have to go too far back in history to find people in Kentucky um, vote for people different than of different parties than who they're voting for now. Um, I think that you know there's uh, there's a lot of good sense in this state. I think that there's a lot of people that recognize uh, that we haven't always had the most um, fair healthcare system. There's a lot of people who've done uh, without health care and have gotten health care and know how that's happened. <laughs> that they they have more than they did before. Um, I think there's a lot of people with uh, good sense about why there's poverty in our state and you know, how hard it is uh, to get out of poverty. There's a lot of people that recognize uh, why so many people are in jail. And that, uh, you know, the way we've put people in jail and the way we've responded to people once they've been in jail hasn't been the most productive. Um, you know, there's so, there's so much common sense in the state that at some point, uh, I think people recognize you know, that, that we'd be better off if we um, actually looked at how to solve problems instead of just, you know, looking for who to blame, looking for, looking to uh, put blame on people, whether it's their fault or not. And uh, so at some level, I'm hopeful. I'm not, I don't know that it, things are going to, uh, I don't know that I'm going to feel a lot better about things in, in any near term. But I think that, you know, Kentuckians uh, uh, like to surprise people. <laughs> and uh, they think for themselves. And so um, I'm hopeful that if, uh, if people rise up, you know, in, if people of, of good spirit, good faith, good uh, consciousness of, you know, what communities really need um, forward, and run, run campaigns that are inclusive and, and you know, address what Kentuckians have in common, that, uh, that things could get easier for a lot of people in this state. Um, I mean, you know, one of the things is, this is a place where you think you hate somebody until, you know, you get to talking to them and then you find out that, you know, there's a, a lot not to hate, you know, and almost everybody. And uh, I think if if any of the places where, you know, there's been a lot of meanness in the public policy uh, could turn around, I think this is definitely one of the places where we could see a, a state where people treat each other better. And, uh, and I'm ready. I'm ready to be part of it. <laughs> well, 
Well, there's definitely a lot of good people in the state. It's the state of Kentucky. Uh, and Kentucky's uh, changing. I mean, uh, uh, it's changing, but there's some people who, who want, for some reason, are afraid of the changes, and they want to go back to, to an idealized time that never really existed. You know, uh, So uh, that's where we kind of are. And so the question is, you know, can we... Uh, you know, solidify some of the positive changes and, and say, hey, hey, folks, uh, going backward to 1953, it wasn't that great for a whole lot of people. Yeah. You know, uh, so uh, even going back to December of 2019 wasn't that great. Uh, uh, some people just want to go back to, uh, there. But, uh, folks, We've had a wonderful conversation with Robert Geip. Uh, Robert, I want to thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, it's been uh, just a great conversation. I think it'll educate a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here with us. Well, it's my pleasure, Kay. Thanks for inviting me.